Please turn to 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 13. 2 Kings 18, 13. Now, I'm always very interested to see what happens in people's lives over time. Have you ever been in a place where suddenly you just see somebody you haven't seen in 10, 15, 20 years, and sometimes it's like, oh yeah, it's almost like, oh yeah, I, I recognize that person internally, externally. And there are other times where you're, you're just so surprised that somebody who is so strong is just broken down. Sometimes you're, you're surprised that, that somebody that used to be so confident is just kind of a shell of their former selves. Sometimes we're, we're shocked that people no longer serve Christ. They no longer have a passion for the things of God, for for the kingdom of God, and, and, and we're reminded you just can't do an end run around God. And all these things just take their toll when God is a God of grace and a God of relationship and a God of love and a God who never turns away from us and daily builds into our lives. And yet, aren't we delighted when we see somebody and, and it's just so evident that they still love the Lord? You know, they still have that desire to, to walk the walk. You can tell that there's been ups and downs. You can tell their life's been real. They, they've got a desire to live the life. And you, you just say, yes, yes, Lord, that is, that is so beautiful. And yet, and yet, we all know here this morning that the most consistent person you could ever find has mighty, mighty ups and downs in their lives. The strongest, most daily walking person that you know, we could be surprised at the, the sin that, that that person actually struggles with if we were to know. We might be surprised at some of the attitudes that, are, that have crept into that life, an attitude of bitterness and an attitude of, of, of something towards somebody and how that has crept in, how it's become infectious and, and how hard that is and how hard it's been to see that put away as they've just walked with the Lord. We can be surprised if we were able to know the lengths of time where people just kind of wallowed and how long sometimes spiritually it took before they really reconnected in a, in a, in a way with their hearts with God. I was talking with a young believer not too long ago about how things in people's lives are, are difficult and, and how sometimes we struggle mightily with things and we can struggle for years with things. And, and, and it's not easy. And kind of the older you get, the more complex and complicated your life becomes, not the simpler and the older I've gotten, the more I've seen that the Christian life really isn't a formula. It is more of a relationship and a, and a daily walk and the effect that all those ups and downs and all that walking with God has on us over time. And, and I mentioned that young believer because in our text, we start with Hezekiah who's 25 years old when he becomes king. He is young. He is dynamic. He is filled with faith. We end with Hezekiah at age 39. I mean, he's just coming into midlife, you know. And he is different at age 39 than he is at age 25. 
Isn't your life filled with ups and downs? Yes. Don't you wrestle and struggle? Yes. I'd like for you to turn to 2 Kings 18. And we'll go back to verse 5, which is the headlines about Hezekiah. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord. 2 Kings 18.5 Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. And we read that. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord. There's nobody like him. And we say, wow, he's not like me. Well, let me tell you, he is a lot like you because today we realize that Hezekiah, just like us, just wrestled with mighty things and he blew it and turned from God at stages in his life and had to come back and he learned that God was always there to receive him back, this beautiful God of grace. You see, verse 5 of 2 Kings 18 is really a big picture statement of the grace of God. In the final analysis, God is saying, Hezekiah loved me. Hezekiah did trust me in the big picture. There wasn't any king like Hezekiah before, since this is not talking about the actual record of Hezekiah's life with God. Because he turns from God. And we'll look into that in our text this morning. I mean, basically, Hezekiah sold God out at age 39. Now, let me ask this question. As we all are just walking in a fallen world, as as people who struggle with a God who never changes and who gives us, by His Spirit, the ability to walk every day and the grace to keep walking, why are we faithful in one time in our life and faithless in another? How is it that we can look back and say, yes, I remember this time and I was... I was very faithful, more faithful to God. And and then I came over here in this period, however long it was, and, and I was more faithless in this period. Well, this passage basically shows us the frailty and the fickleness of the human heart. And how we shift. And how we change. Even if we're Hezekiah, the greatest king of Judah. We might put it this way. Here's a sentence that I'd like for us to kind of walk through this morning then was different from now we change but god stays the same so i'm trying to explain why this happens well we, we didn't go through the same circumstances and we reacted differently at different times then was different from now we change but god stays the same and i want to Go back and talk about the then of Hezekiah's life. If you'll turn to 2 Chronicles 29.3. I mean, right out of the chute, this 25-year-old, he is so filled with faith, he is not afraid of anybody or anything. He's He's just going to cut across public opinion. He is going to make hard decisions, and he's not going to look back, and God is going to bless it. 2 Chronicles 29.3, in the first month of the first year of his reign. I mean, he is all over this immediately. In the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and he repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites and assembled them in the square on the east side of the temple. And he said, listen here to me, Levites. 
consecrate, that is, set yourselves for holy purpose, set yourselves apart now. And consecrate, set apart the temple of the Lord, the God of your fathers. Remove all the defilement from the sanctuary, meaning the idols that had been brought in there and basically all this religious junk that had been brought into God's temple. Remove all the defilement of the sanctuary now. Your forefathers, your fathers, hear these words, were unfaithful. And they did evil in the eyes of the Lord our God, and they forsook Him. They turned their faces away from the Lord's dwelling place and turned their backs on God. They also shut the doors of the portico, put out the lamps in the temple. They did not even burn incense and worship anymore or present burnt offerings at the sanctuary to the Lord God of Israel. And Hezekiah says, this will stop now. Wow. God is God. We are His people. We will worship Him. And, he, and, and basically, as you read this and read the different accounts, I mean, they took what we might call truckloads of garbage, idolatrous garbage, out of the temple and just got it out of there. 25 years old, boldly, just, just standing against public opinion. If you were here last week, it said that that Hezekiah not only did right in the eyes of the Lord like his father David, but he, he tore down the high places. He had the nerve to actually go after something that had become very dear to the people of Israel, these high places that used to be altars to pagan gods. But now they were kind of kind of had Jewishness and there were still pagan stuff like Asherah poles. You know, I said last week, it's kind of like um, if we put it in a modern context, we got a place to, to a plaguing God, but we, I mean, we got a cross up there next to a pentagram, next to this, and you could, you could customize your faith. You could just kind of make Judaism anything you wanted it to be. You could go up and, you know, rub your, your cross and, and at the same time pray to Baal or whatever. And Hezekiah at age 25 said, those things have got to go. They had been doing it for generations. It was a source of comfort for them. Much more convenient than the temple and all those restrictions. And he tore them down. And then he went into the temple and just cleared out the temple. We read that verse 3, Hezekiah was like his father David. That's kind of an interesting statement because David wasn't his daddy. His daddy was Ahaz. Ahaz is one of the most wicked kings in the history of the southern kingdom. He is the stellar opposite of his dad. He was raised and under the tutelage of the prophet Isaiah. His heart was turned to God. He loved and trusted the Lord. His heart clung to God. What it's saying is this. Is that spiritually, Ahaz was not his father. He's the second coming of David. The Davidic line, the, the line of kings blessed by God. Jesus himself is out of the line of king, out of the line of David. Verse 6, he held fast to the Lord and did not cease to follow him. He kept the commands the Lord had given to Moses. And verse 7 is probably as important for what we're going to talk about today as any verse. And it simply says this, you need to kind of... Remember this verse, he rebelled 
against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. Verse 7. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. That's important because Ahaz's father was a puppet leader under the heel, the, the, the strong arm of Assyria, the most powerful empire in the world. 25-year-old Hezekiah, I'm not afraid of anybody, anything, any kingdom. The Lord God created the heavens and the earth. The Lord God sustains everything. The Lord God defeats His inner enemies. We will clear that temple. We'll get, we will worship the Lord God. We will love the Lord our God. And we will not worry about Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, or his army. Wow. It was the beginning of an era of faith and peace and the blessing of the Lord. And Judah had their young, fair-haired, golden boy king who loved the Lord and could do no wrong. That was then. Verse 13 is now. That was then. This is now. He's now 39 years old. He's almost 40. And folks, he's changed. Hezekiah had just observed the utter demolition of the northern kingdom of Israel. The northern kingdom of Israel had the Assyrians swoop down on them, take every town, besiege Samaria, and destroy that city, and haul off the leadership of that culture into captivity. Look at verse 9. The king, in King Hezekiah's fourth year, and let's just kind of move up with him in age, fourth year, he's 29. Remember, he took, took, took it when he was 25. Four years later, which was the seventh year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, marched against Samaria, which was the capital of the northern kingdom, and laid siege to it. At the end of three years, the Assyrians took it. So Samaria was captured in Hezekiah's sixth year. Now he's 32. Watching all this as he goes, gets older. In which was the ninth year of Hosea, king of Israel. The king of Assyria deported Israel to Assyria. Now, so they're gone. There is no more northern kingdom. And isn't it great that the scriptures make very clear why this happened? This didn't happen because there was weak political leadership and so there, you know, that, that their ambassadors weren't as good as they could have been. This didn't happen simply because the Assyrian army was so much greater and more powerful than the army of Israel. No, it's very clear the Scriptures say why this happened and it says it in verse 12 of 2 Kings 18. This happened because... They had not obeyed the Lord their God, but had violated His covenant, all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded them. And this is such a telling statement. Listen to this, this, this sentence. They neither listened to the commands of God nor carried them out. We don't need God's Word. We don't need what that God has to say. And we're certainly not going to do what he says anyway. The northern kingdom of Israel fell because they no longer wanted to obey God. They had found a different expression of their religion. They had become more 
enlightened. They had become more comfortable with the culture and the of the, of, uh, in Israel and, and the gods that were left over there and the fertility cults and all the things that had to do with farming and how big your crops would be. And they, they had made a very customized version of, quote, the faith. And they had welcomed other gods and no longer paid close attention to the Scriptures and they liked it that way. And they thought it would last forever. Because finally, we don't have that narrow, fundamentalist, Bible-thumping thing in the northern kingdom anymore. Finally, we have embraced everybody, and everybody's right, and nobody's wrong, and we're all friends, and we're still Jewish. And who are you to tell me I'm not Jewish anymore? Finally, we have a peaceful and more civil and sensible way to do what we want to do while being religious in the name of Yahweh God. They neither listened to the commands nor carried them out. Now, I will say again, as I have said before, our hearts are frail. Our hearts are fickle and so easily deceived and we tend to make deals with all kinds of things in our lives to make it easier, to quickly make it better. And those things can hurt us. We need, just as much as they needed, we need the Word of the Lord. Here's the reason why. The, the zeitgeist or the spirit of the age of our culture simply goes like this. Listen to your heart. See, the problem is that you've got all this noise in your heart and in your soul. The problem is there's all this static and you can't really listen to your heart. Listen, to, the answers are all within you if you just have the ability to tune in to your heart. So discover what your heart really wants. Follow your heart. Follow your intuition. No. That is the pathway to destruction. That is exactly what happened in the northern kingdom of Israel. No, you know what we need? We need the objective truth of God who never changes, whose word will endure forever. Men are like grass, like the flower of the field. They wither and die, but the word of our God will stand forever. We shift, we change all the time. It just depends on what hour it is of what day it is in our lives. We need objective, external truth to speak to our lives. Jesus said, and I remind you, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, meaning we can't do our own lives in the way that God would have us do it. We must have the Word of God. And it was because they had turned away from God and His Word that God militarily withdrew from them. God withdrew His glory from them. And you've got to understand, this is a first. That same God who used to say, I'll fight, your, I'll fight your battles for you. Do you know when the Israelites, this ragtag bunch of people that came out, the slaves that came out of Egypt, tried to put together some kind of leadership, some kind of cohesion in the desert, and Moses was always fighting to 
you know, to, to make, see them come together. By the time they got to Canaan, do you realize the Canaanite army was one of the superpowers of the region? They had chariots. The Israelites couldn't beat the Canaanites. The Canaanites were, had military superiority from moment one. This is game, set, and match. The first day on the field, except for one thing. I'll give the, the enemy into your hands. You blow the trumpets around that city. The last day you shout, the walls will come in. You go in, everyone, and shout because the Lord has given you the city. We read, I will send the hornet ahead of you. Hornets? You don't want to meet the hornets of God. I mean, God is, is, is raining down hail on retreating foes. I will fight for you. Well, let me tell you, in the northern kingdom of Israel, they didn't need God anymore, especially the way, you know, God's kind of narrow and God's kind of this and God's kind of that and it all feels judgmental to, to me. Well, God just withdrew. And for the first time in their history, except for a few battles that, you, that we could talk about, but for the major first time in their history, they fought with exactly what they had against a superior enemy. And it was a rout. That's what happened to the northern kingdom. Hezekiah, at age 29, 32, and now 39, he is watching all of this happen, and he knows that he is next. Young Hezekiah, verse 7, rebelled against the king of Assyria and said, I will not serve him. Old, older, surely 39 is not old. Older Hezekiah, he's forgetting about the power and glory of God. He, what he is filling his vision is, is scenes of a burning city up north and scenes of slaughter. And that enemy is getting bigger and bigger. And, he, and his estimation of their ability to stave off the Assyrians is getting smaller and smaller. One scholar put it this way, and I love this. Hezekiah was focused on what happened up there and was not focused on why it happened. You see, if he would have remained focused on why it happened, he would have said, look, everything is equally easy to God. You do know that about God, don't you? It's like, Lord, I, I really wish you could do this. This would be, this is easy and this is really hard. There's no hard for God. We will find out next week when they actually clash with the Assyrians how easy things are for God. But I don't want to get ahead of me and, and tell you the story. But he forgot everything. I mean, God can wipe out the Assyrians in one night if he wants to. But now he's 30 and not 25. You know what he says to Sennacherib? He says to Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. He doesn't say, I will not serve you. And the Lord God will deal with you. No, here's what he says. I was wrong to not serve you. And he sold God out. Verse 13. Finally, 15 minutes into the sermon, I finally get to our text. Verse 13. There's a lot of history to tell here. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, he's 39, Sennacherib, notice it's not Shalmaneser, he's died. This is the next Assyrian Empire, emperor. 
Sennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. He's coming down south. All the forts are gone. And Jerusalem is next. Is this scary or what? So Hezekiah, verse 14, king of Judah, sent this message to the king of Assyria at Lachish. I have done wrong. Can we add the word please? Please, in parentheses, withdraw from me. I will pay you whatever you demand of me. And the king of Assyria exacted from Hezekiah, king of Judah. I can't tell you how much this is. This is enormous. 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. So Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the temple of the Lord and in the treasuries of the royal palace. Some scholars seem to indicate that silver was as as precious as gold at that point. I can't verify that, but that's what I read. Verse 16. I want you to get the irony. Remember the doors that of the temple that Hezekiah opened? We're going to consecrate this temple? Not only did he open those doors, you know what he did with those doors? He put, he, he put gold all around them and said, these are the doors of the house of God. He put gold all over the temples. He says, we believe in God. This is God's house. Verse 16, At that time, Hezekiah, king of Judah, stripped off the gold which he had covered the doors and the doorposts of the temple of the Lord and gave it to the king of Assyria. Yeah, I think he's changed. In the last 19 years, maybe it's kind of like, um, can I bring up a sore subject? Maybe it's kind of like the stock market. Now, what I'm about to say is not financial advice. Uh, I assure you, But you know, it's kind of the general idea that the stock market crashes, people panic, and what do they do? They sell. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't sell. Maybe you've got a strategy. Maybe you've got a computer-generated, you know, all the numbers have been run, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm not telling you it's bad, but, but you know, people don't sell because they've done hours and hours and reams and reams of research. Why do they sell? Because they're scared. And they just sell. And I'm going to tell you something, spiritually, will we hold or will we sell when trouble comes? That, that's kind of the question. Why are we more faithful in sometimes than others? Hezekiah panicked and sold out God. And it's instructive. And I'm going to be honest with you, it scares me. It scares me because to think about how years, how different stuff, different troubles, busyness, mortgages, markets, disappointments, challenges with children, and all these things begin to take their toll on something that used to be bold and beautiful. That scares me. I remember not long after I came to Christ, I was so zealous for the Lord as a new believer. 
I mean, I was filled with faith. Man, I was forgiven, had that new life. I was ready to go. I was so filled with zeal, probably blind zeal in some ways. You know, they say like a lot of heat without a lot of light. Uh, what is it? A new Christian plus a burden for witnessing equals brutality. I'm sure that I was guilty of that as well. But I'll, I'll never forget, I, I, there was a speaker that came to campus and, and I went to hear this speaker and man, I was so fired up. I said, I've got to meet this person. So I got in line, you know you get on the queue to talk to this person. I was about three back in line, and I was getting to know this, this guy that was in line with me. Who are you? And, da, 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 and I told him, you know, that I'd just come to Christ. And, man, I'm, you know, so believe that God's going to work in my fraternity. I think God wants to take this campus for Jesus. And, I mean, it's just coming, you know. It's just boiling out. And he looked at me, and he said, look, you're obviously a new Christian. You'll get over it. Well, there's some truth to that. But the speaker, three back, heard him say that and basically just cleared everybody out, pulled the two of us up, looked me in the face and said, never get over it. Never get over it. Life will change. The gospel will stay the same. Life will change. God is the same forever. Don't ever get over it. Don't listen to him. You know, I, I think about this. A lot, really. I was known for my zeal and faith in my early years, like Hezekiah. I would like to be known for wisdom, for a change maybe, in my older years, without losing zeal and faith. But it scares me, folks. I've lived, you know, we asked the question, how could that guy, won't serve the Assyrians, tore down the high places, Trust in the Lord, not scared of anybody at any time. God is going to conquer who what? You know, what? how could that guy become, oh, no, no, please don't attack me. I'll tear all the, I'll give you all God's gold. I'll, I'll tear all the gold off the doors of the house of my God. How does that guy become that guy, you see? Well, I've lived long enough, and many of you have, to be that guy whether it's our thoughts or our words or attitudes, because that guy loses focus on Christ. That guy loses sharpness. And there are times when you get tired and you lose focus. You're tired of the rat race. You're tired of the faith required in this culture, tired of fighting your sin, tired of disappointment, whatever you're tired of, but you're just tired. And maybe you get to a place where your life is beginning to be defined in ways that the former, more idealistic you would not have wanted them to be defined. Maybe the concrete's drying You know, I believe that if any one of us could break in with utter, total clarity on the lives, thoughts, motives, history of any other one of us, where nothing would be hidden from, from our gaze. We clean up pretty good for church, don't we? We struggle. We struggle mightily. We are just like Hezekiah. I believe that if we could do this, we would be surprised at what people struggle with. You believe that? 
Because they're believers. And they're struggling. I think we'd be surprised at some of the attitudes and thoughts. But maybe not really. Maybe we'd say, how could that guy be this guy? How could that gal be this gal? Well, let me ask you another question. How could the most ardent, courageous, faith-oriented disciple of Jesus Christ, I will go to Jerusalem and I am both willing to go and die for you, how can that guy be the guy that before the rooster crows at 7 a.m. or whenever the rooster crows, he has said, I don't even know that man. I have never, I don't even know that man, Jesus Christ. How does that guy become that guy? And that's the Apostle Peter. Then was different than now. We change. And we turn from God sometimes. But lastly, God is still the same. God is still the same. God is the same. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's one of my favorite verses because we shift, we change, the situation changes. God is always there. He may withdraw His military help. He may withdraw sometimes a part of His glory, but He will never withdraw from you. Never. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you, says the Lord your God. And not only is He always there, He is a God of grace, and His grace wasn't made by you, it wasn't purchased by you, therefore it cannot be lost or altered by you. He is always a God who receives us. He is always a God who hears the, the, the repentance of our heart and forgives us and cleanses us and embraces us every single time. Yes, we change. But folks, the good news is we can change back, so to speak. Back into an embrace that is close with God in a leadership that takes all this fear, non-specific or specific, out of our lives. Gives us peace to walk confidently according to the Word of God, which will never go away, that is always true and always produces the fruit that it was sent out to accomplish. It's beautiful. And Hezekiah comes back. And he's better. And he's more mature and more filled with faith. And you will see that next week if you come back. Let's just deal with verse 5 real quickly, and then one parallel verse in the Old Testament. Verse 5 is kind of where we started. What do you think about this now? After everything we've heard about Hezekiah selling out God at age 39, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. God says that about Hezekiah after he's blown it. After high treason against God and His Word. Because God says that as the big picture of, I love this guy, this guy loves me, this guy did turn away from me and I forgave him. But I'm going to tell you, the big picture is, the big picture is, with all the ups and downs of Hezekiah and all the ups and downs of me and you, the big picture is, that guy loved me. And that guy trusted me in his life, and there was nobody like him among all the sinners and all the kings. The parallel passage is 1 Kings 
where God says something very shocking to our ears, if we know the story, remember Hezekiah was not like his father. He was he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord like his father David. First King 14, 8, my servant David, this is like after David's, the summing of his life, my servant David, who kept my commands and followed me with all his heart, doing only what was right in the eyes of the Lord. What kind of sentence is that? We know what he did. He saw another man's wife and he took her for himself and then he put a hit out on that, ma- that woman's husband and had Uriah, the, the husband of Bathsheba, killed purposefully in the line of battle. And David, after my own heart, follows my commands. Praise the Lord for titles, lines like that over people who struggle and people who sin and turn from God who come back. David, at the end of the day, he loved me. I love him. And he loved my word and he understands my grace. God is so gracious and forgiving that even when there's murder or adultery, like David or just selling God out like Hezekiah, Or Peter, God forgives. And everything in between. So don't give up. Don't wallow in your struggles. Don't imagine that God won't like you anymore or love you anymore. That's not the way it works. It's very important the way we see God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is a God of grace who has purchased for us forgiveness and love. But you know what's just as important to understand? Is to know how God sees us. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about you. That when God looks upon you in the big picture, He sees the blood and righteousness of His Son, Jesus. And He accepts you. And He loves you. And because of Jesus, that's how He sees you. That's why He will never leave you or forsake you. God views us through Christ and not as we actually are. Yeah, He sees our sin. But I would say to you this morning... Go to the one who died for you. Go to the one who never changes. Believe. Repent. He will take you back. And you can, to use a horrible phrase, change back. Back into his arms of closeness to where you can hear his heartbeat again. And be led daily with confidence by His Word and His grace. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You for these words. 
Thank you for the fact that you don't, you don't paint touched up pictures of people in your word. That they love you and they're sinners at the same time and you accept them because of Christ and you work with them and they repent. Lord, would, would you help us wherever we are would you help us to believe the gospel? If you've never put your trust in Christ and you'd like to, just pray with me. Lord, I see it. I, I can't be holy enough to have a relationship with you. I, I turn from everything else and put my trust in Christ and what He has done for me on the cross, taking the punishment for my sin. Thank you that even now you've come into my life. Lord, keep me close to you. Keep me believing that it is rooted in you and not me and, and quick to repent and believe. Lord, there are people that are just struggling right now. There are some people that don't believe you, you really like them or love them like you used to. That's because they view you like they would be if they were God. Thank you that we're not and that you are ever gracious. Would you break the lie that is non-grace? Even now, would you return to the Lord? Even now, would you admit that you have wandered, we have wandered, because not only our lack of understanding of grace, but our neglect of external, objective truth that we need. Lord, sweetly bring us back. Convince us of your love and grace afresh. Friend of sinners, our great God, and just one day at a time, just today and tomorrow, lead us in your love and in your ways and in your truth. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.